Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. I'm Joshua Rushing, one of the pastors here, and because it's the anniversary of the prayer room, I wanted to talk a little bit about prayer this morning, and not just prayer in general. I I was, the Lord really began to impress upon my heart uh, this past week because it's, A, it's personal for me, but also I really felt like there was uh, many of you here that really needed to hear this message. So I want to talk this morning about how to pray when we're hurting. How do we pray when we're hurting? Now, again, I've been through seasons of, of pain, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, even spiritual pain, spiritual struggle, and you know, just the way sometimes we contend year in and year out for a breakthrough, and then you don't see the breakthrough, and then bitterness starts to creep in, and then you start, you, the, the, the pain that sets in in that moment, sometimes it's hard for me to begin to pray and to really connect with God during those seasons of pain. So I wanna talk again this morning, how do we pray when we're hurting. So if you would, just turn in your Bibles to the book of Job, our favorite character to identify with in the Bible. Good old Job. If there was a single man in scripture, perhaps other than Jesus on the cross who experienced the the depths of hurt and pain, depression, despair and grief, and even self-pity, it was Job. In one single day, everybody say one day. In one day, nearly everything that Job had was taken from him. You can read that in Job chapter one. Even in Job chapter two, his personal health was taken from him. All of his belongings, all of his livestock, his source of income was gone in one day. His family, gone in a single day then his own health, gone, just like that. Can you imagine the weight of pain and grief and sorrow that Job was experiencing? Job was hurting, and it wasn't just physical. That deep emotional pain, intense physical pain, as well as significant spiritual pain, and yet, in all of this, Job did not sin against God or charge God with wrongdoing. So let me ask a question. Through all of this, did Job voice his displeasure over his current circumstances? The answer is yes, he did. In fact, look at Job 3, verse three. It says, may the day perish on which I was born And the night in which it was said, a male child is conceived, may it never be. He cursed the very day he was born, yet he was still considered by God a righteous man. Did Job complain? Did Job complain to God about his circumstances? The answer is, yes, he did. Look at Job 7, 11. Job says, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. So Job expressed his displeasure to God about his circumstances, but yet he did not sin against God. Job says, I'm gonna complain about this. I'm not gonna shut my mouth. 
I'm not going to sign up for, you know, Jeff's class on how to control your tongue. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go through faith walking this month. I'm going to complain and complain and complain and complain. But yet, Job was a righteous man. He did not sin against God. Here's another question for you. Did Job question God? (laughs) You see the theme here, right? Job questioned God. Now, I remember kind of growing up, you were taught, don't question God. Right? Don't question. What he says it, you go do it. Don't question God. His ways are higher than your ways. You can't get it anyway, even if he explained it. So don't question God. But Job questioned God. And God said, that's a righteous man. He has not sinned against me. Job 7, verse 20, he says, What have I done to you, O watcher of men? (laughs) I wonder if there's a little hint of sarcasm in that one. (laughs) What have I done to you, O watchers of men? you, You say your eyes are ever upon me. I'm never outside of your gaze, O watcher of men. What have I done to you? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden even to myself? Why? So if Job was expressing his, his displeasure, he was complaining to God, and he was questioning God, how can we call Job a righteous man? How can we do that? Well, I'll give you my answer. One of the reasons I think Job still moved the heart of God, even though he was complaining and expressing displeasure and questioning God, is because Job did all of that stuff in the presence of God. He stayed in God's face. And I don't mean that he got all up in God's face. I don't mean that in the negative sense. But Job went through his struggle, went through his pain. He didn't turn his back from the Lord and go and express his stuff and try to process this stuff disconnected from God. He stayed in the face of God. He kept his face poised toward God in his pain. And God would eventually visit upon Job the abundant blessings of heaven. But listen to me. One of my favorite quotes about this story of Job from Bob Sorge, he says, God didn't come to Job because all of his responses were right, but because he cried out to God. It's one thing for us to cry out to God. It's a whole other thing for us to go over here and cry out about God and about his character. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't see me in my pain. Even if he does, he's not going to do anything about it. Do you hear how the complaint there is a little bit different when I'm disconnected from the Lord? It gets so easy to begin to accuse him of being something he's not and begin to accuse his nature. So Job can be an example to us about how do we process, how do we pray, how do we walk with the Lord in the midst of our pain? And I want to give you four truths today that have helped me as I've prayed in different seasons of struggle. The first truth we're going to talk about, how do we pray when we're hurting? Number one, one truth that we can stand on during those times is it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to wrestle. It doesn't offend God for you to wrestle with him a little bit. Hosea, verse 14 of chapter 7, God rebukes his people, not because they were wailing and moaning, but because they were, wail- they were not wailing and moaning to him. Look at that verse. They did not cry out 
to me. Everybody say, to me. This is God talking. They did not cry out to me with their hearts when they wailed upon their beds. That was his issue. He doesn't mind you wrestling with him. He just wants you to wrestle with him. We can think of another story of someone who wrestled with God. What was his name? Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God. I mean, think about that for a minute. You have to be feeling pretty good about yourself to start putting up dukes with the man who has Genesis 1 on his resume. I mean, you got to be feeling really good about yourself. But he leaned into that place. He goes, I am not going to let this go until you bless me. He wrestled. Listen, God is not insecure about his place in the universe. He's not threatened by your wrestling. It doesn't move him in the negative sense. It doesn't, he doesn't get offended by it. He said, just do it with me. Don't wrestle by yourself. Come to me. I believe we can actually get away with a whole lot more than what we think when we're wrestling with God. And I don't mean get away with stuff as far as like moral failures or, or things like that. But I think sometimes we're almost, oh, well, it's God. I can't really, can, can I say that? Can I, uh, I don't want him to get mad at me. God's like, no, you're struggling. Come on, let's have it out. Let's wrestle with this a little bit. I'm going to love you through this thing. I'm not angry with you. Let's wrestle. In fact, the Psalms are full of hearts that are wrestling, hurting, struggling, complaining, and crying. So if you're in that season of hurt and being wounded, whether maybe you're, maybe you're offended at God, maybe you're offended at someone else, maybe you're in physical pain, I just want to say, join the psalmist. You're in good company. Join the psalmist who cried out over and over again. Give yourself permission to lay your soul bare before the Lord in genuine interaction, in vulnerable weeping and unadulterated honesty. Richard Foster says it this way. He says, frustration and tears and anger are also languages of prayer. We invite God to walk with us as we grieve and the loss of our dream. Maybe an offhand remark by a neighbor triggers a whole explosion of emotions on us, anger, jealousy, and fear. Very well, we speak frankly and honestly with God about what is happening and ask him to help us to see the hurt behind the emotion. He goes on to say, we should feel perfectly free to complain to God or to argue with God or even yell at God. And we have a few examples of this in the scripture. I mean, consider Jeremiah. What a happy-go-lucky guy he was, huh? He was called the weeping prophet. And in Jeremiah 20, verse 7, he actually, he's speaking to God. See, God had called Jeremiah to be a voice, to be a prophetic voice to his people in his generation. And no one received his word. God said, you're going to speak my word to the people. Jeremiah said, I'll sign up for that. That's going to be awesome. What, Jesus, what God didn't tell him is, like, by the way, no one's going to listen to you. Not only that, they're going to throw you in a pit. And you know what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said in chapter 20, verse 7, he goes, oh, Lord, you tricked me. You tricked me. This is not what I signed up for. God said, oh, yes, you did. You just didn't know that's what you signed up for. This is what you signed up for, Jeremiah. 
But he said, Lord, you tricked me. That word tricked or even means deceived. Whoa, oh, God deceived him? Well, maybe he didn't. God didn't deceive him, but that's, that was the pain Jeremiah was feeling in the moment. But he just took it to the Lord. You tricked me. Now, I do want to make a, a little balance statement here. We're talking about wrestling with God. It's okay to wrestle. But I do want to say, as much as you can, don't stay in that place too long. Like Job, at some point, we must rise up and bless the Lord. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, we, sometimes we just have to speak to our soul like David did and said, soul, you don't feel like it right now. But bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I will rise up and bless his name. So is it okay to wrestle? Absolutely. But should that be the primary way that we interact with God? No. Have your wrestle time. Have your wrestle time. But then at some point, we have to just rise up and say, I don't get you. I don't understand. But you're good. And I'm going to bless you. You see, sorrows were only meant to last for the night. But joy comes in the morning. You see, Jacob had his name changed after he wrestled with God. You think it was easy for Jacob? You think it was painful for Jacob? Absolutely, it was painful for Jacob. He wrestled with God, and God changed his name and released him in a brand new destiny. His name was changed to Israel. So go ahead and wrestle with God. It's okay. The second truth we can stand on as we pray in the midst of our hurting, in the midst of our pain. The second truth is this. God is with you in your struggle. God is with you. He cares. God feels. He's, he is a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 4.15 tells us. He's sympathetic. He feels what you're going through. Isaiah 53 says he's acquainted with your grief. Think about that. We quote that scripture a lot during Easter time, and sometimes that phrase just kind of, it loses its power. Think about those words. He, God himself, is acquainted with your grief. He knows rejection. Are you feeling the pain of rejection this morning? Again, join really good company. His name is Jesus. He knows rejection. In fact, Isaiah 53 goes on to call him a man of sorrows. He knows your struggle. He, he has borne your grief. And just as we like to say that our praise reaches his ear, we need to understand also that our pain touches his heart. There's never a moment where you go through a struggle or a pain that God doesn't understand and God doesn't feel that with you. He's there with you in the midst of it. Psalm 56 verse 8 says this, O oh Lord, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Beloved, every tear you've cried, in your room all alone, in your car when there's no one else around, in your prayer closet, every tear you've cried in pain, he collects those tears. Now, I don't know if it's a literal bottle or not, but the idea is the same. He collects those. He, he, he sees them all. Every sigh 
that has come out of your mouth, every tear you shed, he sees it and he knows it because he's with you in your pain. Psalm 139 tells us that he knows our coming and our going, our sitting down and our rising up, and it says his eyes are upon us in every season of our soul. In fact, that Psalm 34, 15 says his ears are open to your cry. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 23, most of us can quote Psalm 23, but this week it kind of hit me as I was preparing for this message that God is with us. His name is Emmanuel, which means with us. God is with us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But you notice something about Psalm 23. Psalm 23, he's talking about God, about God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he's talking about him. He switches the pronoun after walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. You see, before the moment of pain, before the valley of the shadow of death, he's talking about him. But all of a sudden, as he's going through the valley of the shadow of death, the dark day, the dark pain, the dark struggle, all of a sudden there was a nearness there that wasn't there before. He says, I'll talk about you, but now that I'm walking through it, he goes, though I walk through this valley, you are with me. That's the first time he says you. He's talking directly to him. So there was a nearness of God that was awakened. It's it's like he became more aware of God's nearness as he was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you right now, you're in a season where you feel like you're walking through that valley of the shadow of death. But love it, let me remind you, he is near. He's closer than a breath away. Closer than the skin on your bones. He's in you, he's with you, he's around you. He will never leave you, he will never forsake you. Oh, I love that sound. So truth number one, it's okay to wrestle. Truth number two, he is close. He is near to you in your pain. Truth number three, the Psalms give us language to pray in our hurting. You don't know what to pray. Okay, you said, I can wrestle, I can yell. Okay, I know that God is with me, but what do I, how, how do I pray? I don't have words. I don't know what to pray in the midst of my struggle and pain. The Psalms give us language to pray in our pain. Go to the Psalms. You know, Eugene Peterson, uh, just a fantastic writer and man of God, he, he has a quote. Sorry, Jeff, I don't know if you'll like this one or not, but I, I, I like this quote. Eugene Peterson says, Christians need to be able to cuss without cussing. And the Psalms do that for us. That's what Eugene Peterson said. Christians need to be able to cuss without actually cussing. Well, how do we do that? Turn to the middle of your Bible. It's got language for you there to pray when you're in pain, when you're struggling. In fact, Jesus did that. In the darkest hour of Jesus' life, you know what he did? He sang the Psalms. 
He sang the Psalms during his greatest hour of pain and struggle. During Passover, you can read this in uh, Mark 14, 26. During Passover, it was custom, in the, in the Jewish custom, to sing what we call the Great Halal. The Great Halal. The Great Halal is this. It's Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. If you just take all of those Psalms, that's called the Great Halal. And at Passover, it was customary to sing those Psalms. And in Mark 14, 26, at Passover, with his disciples, it says this about Jesus and his group. He says, and when they had hymned, H-Y-M-N, okay, hymned, which means to sing, when they had sang the hymns, the great halal, they went out to the Mount of Olives. All right, Bible trivia question. What was Jesus about to do at the Mount of Olives after this Passover? He was going to do what? He was going to go pray. And he was going to go pray, Lord, if there's any other way, please let this thing pass for me. Let this cup pass for me. Is there another way we can redeem all of humanity and all of creation? Is there another way? If so, please let this pain and suffering pass for me. That was what Jesus was feeling. In that moment, before walking over to the Mount of Olives, it says he hymned. He sang the great halals. Now get this. You're never going you're, you're to sing and read Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 the same again after understanding that Jesus sang these words in the midst of his pain. Look what Psalm 116 says. Imagine Jesus singing this song, singing this psalm with his disciples, knowing that he was about to go endure the cross. Imagine him singing Psalm 116, verses 14 and 15. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Imagine in his darkest hour, Jesus singing those words. Consider the joy in the heart of Jesus that night even when he sang Psalm 117, looking through the corridors of time to see the fullness of the Gentiles being grafted in to the Father's family through the work on the cross. Imagine Jesus singing Psalm 117 verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all of you people. Knowing he's about to go to the cross to make a way for all people, not just the Jewish people, for all people to come in to relationship with the Father. Jesus sang those words in that dark hour. What encouragement might Jesus have received from singing Psalm 118 that night? Psalm 118, verse six, says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's singing this psalm. God, you're with me. Father, you're with me. I don't have to fear. What can man do to me? Jesus was singing the psalms that had been written thousands of years before. Many of these psalms that were written about him. And since Jesus is the word, many of these psalms might have even been written by Jesus. <laughs> like He might have been the one giving them to David or the psalmists. But imagine, about to go to the cross, Jesus singing Psalm 118, verses 22 through 24. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. 
and be glad in it. I like to sometimes just imagine the look on Jesus' face, knowing the struggle that was going on internally inside of him, the pain he was about to endure when he sang that verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I'll be glad in this day. You see, from the first century house churches to the 21st century mega churches, the Psalms have been used as an expression of worship and prayer. They help give us ways to express our hearts in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Truth number four. So we've talked about how it's okay to wrestle. We've also talked about how God is near to us in our pain. We've talked about how the Psalms give us language to cuss without cussing. (laughs) And number four, this fourth truth to stand on in the midst of our pain, it is good to pray for those who have wounded you. It is good to pray for those who have hurt you. Look at Matthew chapter 5, 43 and 45. It says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, if that is not the most counterintuitive thing I've ever heard in the history of the planet, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who use you and persecute you. Pray for those who use you and persecute you. He says, so in doing, he goes, do this so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. There's another passage that goes along with that. Romans 12, verse 14 and verse 20. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, most of you, you really get into that last part. That part excited you right there. Okay, so my enemy, I can heap coals of fire on his head. I could burn his hair off. I like that part. I don't like the part that comes before it about blessing and praying, not cursing, but I like the, hump, you know, the, the, the heap of coals of fire on his head. But can I tell you, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean, hey, if you treat them nicely, it's like burn, baby, burn, I'll show you. It's not what that's talking about at all. That passage actually tells us that love wins at the end of the day. And it means that love transforms at the end of the day. Because let me tell you this, when we begin to pray for our enemies, when we begin to pray for those who have hurt us and wound us, it's one of the ways that we actually guard our heart from bitterness and it becomes one of the things that turns our hearts back into love for that person. You say, well, I don't want to hurt, I don't want to love that person. Well, you're commanded to, sorry. <laughs> Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, how do I love my enemies? Pray for them. 
Bless them. Because here, there, here's a spiritual truth for you. This isn't in the notes. This is a freebie, okay? You will fall in love with that for which you pray. You, it will. I'm telling you, your heart follows your blessing. Your heart follows your prayers. So if you want your heart to become tenderized towards those, you may say, well, I don't. But again, the, the, the way to transformation, bless them and pray for them. It will tenderize your heart, which will not let bitterness and anger and revenge grow inside of you. Praying for those who wound us causes our hearts to be transformed and we'll begin to feel compassion and forgiveness and the love of the Lord for that person. Let's go back to that verse 20 again. It says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. What does that last part mean? Again, it doesn't mean let's kill him with kindness and burn baby burn and let's burn their hair off. It does not mean that. It's saying this, that when we contend for the blessing of God upon their lives and begin to love them and serve them without vengeance in our hearts, we can restart the fire of God's love in their hearts as well. Because more times than not, they're wounding you out of their own woundedness. And so there's part of their heart that has grown cold. But when we in turn love them and bless them and pray for them, we're heaping coals of fire to rekindle the cold, to rekindle the fire in their hearts that has grown cold. We're actually serving God's purposes. We're helping them to grow in, in the fire and the fire of their love to be rekindled in their hearts when we pray for them. And we, when we don't try to get revenge. Because after all, in that same chapter, God says, vengeance is mine. That's not your place. That's not yours. So when we're hurting, let us not cast the burden on the head of those who hurt us. Let's cast our burden at the feet of Jesus. Amen? In that Psalm 52, 22, cast your burdens upon the Lord and you will sustain yourself. Is that what it says? Cast your burdens on the Lord and you can sustain your own self. What does it say? Cast your burdens on the Lord for he will sustain you. Beloved, that's good news. We don't have to sustain ourselves in our struggle. When you're hurting, when you're in pain, you do not have to go through that alone. You do not have to bear that alone. You don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get on with it. As a, as a friend said this week, that's pulling yourself up by the bootstraps is impossible anyway. So don't do it. Don't try to do it. Don't try to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can't do it. You don't sustain yourself. God is your sustainer. When you cast those burdens, those weights, those things that are weighing you down, bring them to the feet of the Lord, and he will sustain you. But we must do our part, which is cast our cares on him. So we do our part, he'll do his part. Or like we like to say around here, that we can't do God's part for him, and he won't do our part for us. We cast our cares, he sustains. You see, forgiveness is a source of healing for the hurting heart. Release it to the Lord in prayer. 
Pray prayers of blessings. And do not let bitterness grow in your heart because bitterness will only create new pains for you. And finally, let's look at John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this world you will have pain. So some of you say, this is a great message, Joshua, but I'm really not going through any pain right now. Just wait. There's your encouraging word for the week. If you're not in pain right now, just hold on for a little bit. It's a promise. I may not like that promise, but it's a promise. In this world, you will have struggle. You will have tribulation. It's going to happen. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The one who is near to you in your pain says, I've overcome the world. So how do we deal with the hurt? How do we pray when we're hurting? Number one, we need to know it's okay to wrestle with God for a season. Don't feel shame. Don't feel condemnation. God's okay with it. But just do it with him. Stay in his face. Remind yourself that God is near Remind yourself that he is intimately acquainted with your struggle. Also turn to the Psalms, for they'll give you language. They become your prayer vocabulary in the midst of your season of tribulation. And then pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who've wounded you. Bless those. Do not curse them. Forgive them. You may ask, how many times do I have to forgive him? Yeah, good. The disciples asked that same question, didn't they? Just once? Okay, twice. All right, I'm really feeling generous. Three times, I'll forgive you. He says, Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven. Over and over and over and over again. So these truths that we talked about this morning, these aren't some magic formula that will just make your pain go away. That's not the point of this. But rather, these are tools that will help you stay in the face-to-face place with God in the midst of your pain. These will help keep your heart from hardening towards others as well as God. They will help you stay engaged in the place of prayer instead of letting go of your lifeline, which is intimate communion with your healer, the one who can bring healing to your heart. Would you stand with me? We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.